previously on 94 Chill, the podcast. So I just finally got around to Ghostbusters 2016. Answer the call is what you'd probably find it under with iTunes. Let me just be up front. Pales in comparison to the 1984 classic. As we discussed on my podcast, 90 for Chill. That's really only because not every minute's full of, filled with uh, near comic gold or something that really grabs your attention, like the entire refrigerator scenes. Scenes, I should say, from Ghostbusters. It's actually pretty solid humor wise. I don't think it's as uh, so plasmic as uh, some have described it. It's just a very, you're trying to tackle a classic, trying to redo it, trying to start something new, which I can kind of appreciate, and I do appreciate the approach they take with the idea of the Ghostbusters just being accepted as real by all the major authorities, be it New York mayor, those guys behind Area 51 and all that bollocks. We can't afford to let people actually believe that they're real. The cameos are great. There's definitely great e solid 90-minute movie in there. Why it's 2 hours and 15, I don't know where they came up with that idea. If you're just looking for a good, fun movie, good background noise, definitely should be on the rotations, I think, on the uh, cable channels. It's not a bad movie by any stretch of the imagination. It's just not gold in every minute, which kind of makes you think, why did you try it when you have nothing but gold from the original Ghostbusters? I will say better than Ghostbusters 2. It's not a retread. It is a its own project. It all makes sense why they all the busters have vaginas. Little hands says it's time to rock and roll. Bring the noise. And welcome back to 90 for Chill the Podcast. This is gonna be a brief episode. I just want to give you the heads up where didn't have a guest, so we're trying to make it concise and perfect for YouTube. But I hope you have fun. This is your host, Cool Movies Darth. You can find me on Letterboxd at CM Darth. And this week, I just had a little brief conversation with my older sister, the poetic critic on Letterboxd. We discuss riff tracks. Pretty much what I would say is the legacy or the project that will continue the legacy. Well, not continue, ensure the legacy of Mystery Science Theater 3000. With that said, though, I know Joel Hodgson and company are trying to get the funds together for another set for Netflix or wherever it may land. Best of luck to them. We're going to just talk about how to use it and where to spend your money when it comes to the services. Otherwise, let me just get my plugs out then. You can find me on Twitter at CatBusRuss. My website's MainEventOfTheDead.com where you can get all my writings. If you want to be on the podcast, all I need is a movie, a director, an actor, or a theme. Just keep it focused on movies that are shorter than 100 minutes. And I'd love to chat with you. Send me an email at RustTheBus07 at gmail.com. Thanks for coming to 90 for Chill once again, and I hope you enjoy. Superman. So just chatting with my older sister, and we were started with the riff tracks for the most part, and just pondering what do you think makes for the best riff tracks? I mean, I have not really gotten around to watching my vast collection of them. There's a lot now out there, especially now that they've been offering more free on services like Tubi. Well, what I was suggesting more of like, okay, well I have the Indiana Jones stuff. I have the Star Wars and I mean, Rift Track's the reason why I own a copy of digitally 
of Godzilla 98 because they gave me a free code when I saw Mothra. Right. Obviously, with the Riff Rat Tracks channel, you're not going to get a chance to really see the some bona fide classics they decide to make fun of, i.e. your Jurassic Parks with Weird Al Yankovic. Right. Uh, uh, Joe McHale on Red Dawn. <laughs> I have a handful of uh, pro ones, and Red Dawn at least is available as VOD track. When it comes to what works for riff tracks and what doesn't, I do find that the regular riffers do seem to find their niche after a while. Like Bridget, Bridget Nelson and Mary Jo Peel have been doing a lot of naturally more feminine stuff, but they've also been doing a lot of 1940s B-movies. Uh, the, the Teenagers series from the 40s is particularly fun. In which they are all clearly people in their 30s and 40s playing teenagers. <laughs> so, basically, what was the Karate Kid? Yeah, it's, it's like cute little comedy musicals. Well, I'm... And, but they get a lot of funny jokes out of those. Mm. That They've also been doing more TV movies lately. Especially 80s TV movies with a whole bunch of TV stars at the time. Right. Stuff you would definitely get to see on Pluto pretty much because nobody really wants to see those movies anymore otherwise. Yeah, stuff stuff you can get like pennies on the dollar at this point. Ah, okay. A lot of them you can find on Tubi unripped mm. as well as ripped. Yeah, so I would imagine it's not going to be too far before Stuart Gordon's Daughter of Darkness probably ends up on that they have been doing a lot of full moon material, full moon feature mm -hmm. stuff. Well, I think CBS money was actually <laughs> backing that. Uh, watch, watch it on Tubi. You get the boobs. Don't, don't what? Don't try to catch it like on some Paramount Plus. But what I was getting at, more or less, right. is that you know what are you looking for in a riff track? Are you looking for something you can play over your? classic to give a new take on it i mean i breathe classics loosely still because i ended up buying a copy of twilight new moon because oh it's another freebie right oh no it is fun to get a different perspective on stuff you like i mean just looking at the preview for willy wonka and the chocolate factory okay so that's that what neil I was... patrick harris that's an all-timer <laughs> okay so in other words don't spend your money on any of the dare I say, crap titles. Not necessarily. Oh. Sometimes when they get a little ambitious, it's worth a look, and then you can like maybe rent it on VOD or something. Well, but what I mean by it. crap titles is we're talking birdemics, your space being wise. A lot of those aren't, the VODs are available cheaply or on Tubi now. That's why, yeah. You don't have to worry about that so much. When it comes to the higher profile titles where you do have to do a little more legwork to, you know, maybe you have to rent the movie on, like, on demand or... Amazon Prime, copy. iTunes, yeah, got it. Yeah. I would say that more for titles you know you already like enough that you'd like to see a different take, like the Jurassic Park movies or Independence Day for me. And at the same time, there are some guest shots or concepts that are so ambitious you want to see them do it, which is the case with the Batman v Superman riff, where they switch off the riffing teams every 20 minutes. Okay. Which reminds you, if you're sharing an Amazon Fire Stick account, 
<laughs> don't rent something if you know if hey this is something my little brother might have watched and purchased i didn't realize that no i but i rented it because i wanted to check out rip tracks for it mm. and on the one hand it is clear every team working on that one because they had if mike kevin and bill do the first and last 20 minutes they book it they do the bookends but in between, you have Trace Ballou and Frank Conniff ah. for 20 minutes. They get to do the actual fight between Batman and Superman, and they get a lot They get a lot out of that. Look, I don't think the Martha thing is <laughs> as funny as people say. Bridget and Mary Jo do 20 minutes. Uh, Matthew, Elliot, Matthew and Ian, mm. the English guys who do some of the Rift Tracks presents, they get 20 minutes. Two of the guys who mainly write for riff tracks rather than do actual riffing do 20 minutes. Okay. Because it is a very long movie. They're just doing the theatrical cut, but it's a very long movie. Mm-hmm. And also it's clear everybody was feeling varying amounts of pain having to work with this movie. Look, <laughs> I, I know you say it's ambitious for what they did, but it all makes sense if you watch the extended cut. Batman vs. Superman is not as bad as people say. Rory, your opinion on Batman vs. Superman. I only watched it with the Rift tracks, and I don't think it could have stood without it. There was no excuse for Jesse Eisenberg to give that performance. Oh, I'm sorry. That is one of the biggest running gags in the tracks. It's just nobody can stand that guy. But I've worked with so many people who act exactly like that. I thought it was quite authentic. They also get in, uh, just have some great timing in the tracks, such as at the end when Superman, you know, they're having the funeral down for Clark Kent down in Smallville. And you see Bruce Wayne and Diana are there. Ugh, flyover states. (laughs) I know, right? (laughs) Can I hear a wahoo?